Jimmy Allen brings such authenticity and vulnerability to this episode as he shares his painful experience of discovering he had a skin disease called vitiligo. This disease causes loss of skin color in patches and is most commonly found in people of color. He recounts his journey from denial, resistance, and desperation to self-love and self-acceptance. His heartfelt way of telling his story was so emotionally charged that I could feel it. If you have anything about yourself that you are struggling to love and accept, you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. Jimmy is host of the Crazy Juicy Love podcast, a love and relationship coach, and he clearly demonstrates that he lives what he teaches. Hello, Jimmy Allen, and welcome to the Authentic Gay Man podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thanks for your willingness to be a guest. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Maddox. Uh, so for our listeners, Jimmy and I have known each other since, I want to say, 2017. Um, I think it's about that time. Yes, I think so. I don't we, remember we, we met in a uh, coaching certification program, uh, Catherine Woodward Thomas, who trains people in the calling in the one process. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, we actually partnered on some of the school projects um, and supported in each other and held each other accountability accountable. And it was really, it was cool. It was fun. And that's how we got acquainted. And, uh, you know, we're, we're both coaches now and work with uh, people about relationships and varying other aspects of their lives. Um, anything you'd like to add to that, Jimmy? Um, that it was a great experience, you know, just um, circling back, I'm going to be involved in her apprentice program um, in July. So I'm excited about that. And um, just, you know, continually deepening my knowledge and my skill to really be able to serve people in the most highest way as possible. Uh, that sounds very exciting. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's <laughs> quite a, you know, quite a big step to step into an apprenticeship under somebody like uh, Catherine Woodward Thomas. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. <clears throat> well, so uh, let's see, let's just launch in. So my, <laughs> my first question for you is, what does it mean to you to be an authentic gay man? <laughs> what does it mean to me to be an authentic gay man? I have to drink some water for this. <laughs> it's a pretty big topic. <clears throat> um, I mean, authenticity for me is um, the willingness to be seen. Um, just open and being vulnerable um, about who you are and allowing someone in and allowing yourself to be seen um, without, you know, being a caricature of yourself. Um, you're not, um, I'm, I'm being my most authentic self, honestly, without judging myself or allowing myself to be um, affected by others. Um, I'm really honoring my own internal needs. Um, I'm speaking up in ways that honor myself and <clears throat> I guess, you know, the people around me. 
um, respecting myself, respecting others, um, and just showing up, you know, um, no matter what, without, you know, um, my baggage or without uh, my own self-criticism or others' criticism, I'm showing up as my best possible self. I love that. I love the way you language that. Um, and, and I would love for the listeners to hear where, where are you in that process? If on a scale of one to 10, if, if one was at the beginning of that really coming into your own authenticity mm-hmm. and 10 was an advanced stage, how would you rate yourself? <laughs> um, I think I'm between an eight and nine. <laughs> cool. Uh, and I think I say that because, um, you know, I think people, when they meet me, they get that, even though my best friend, he recently called me, he was like, you know, he just called me out of the blue. He was like, you know, one thing I really love about you is that you just authentically be yourself. Like, no matter what, you're just going to just be seen and be and, and allow me to see who you are. And I think, too, as I navigate myself through, like, dating, I think um, because, I rec- because I'm at this stage of authenticity with myself, I can see others in, authentic- in authenticity because um, I'm not trying to put on or be on or trying to impress or trying to, you know, um, I'm not trying to be anything else or trying to be any gay, you know, um, like stereotype or like an otter or a butch or that. Like I honestly, I feel like I don't fit in those boxes and I don't try to fit in, fit in those boxes. I try to honor what is really true for me and not try to fit into a, a box or a group where they say I have to look this way or dress this way or talk this way. To me, that's not being authentic, being authentic, that I have to look, dress, and feel to be in a certain group, authenticities. And it's for me, it's like, I don't need those things to be accepted. I am, I am. I that's it. I am. I, I'm with you. And, and I and and you, I think you do. I'm with you. I think you do have a high mass level of mastery in authenticity. In, oh, I can't speak <laughs> I have to slow down when I say that word. <laughs> yeah, it's a mouthful. You know, I love your story about your friend calling you. And isn't it just amazing when totally unsolicited somebody that we trust reflects us back to us? Yeah. It doesn't it does. get much better than that. When people <laughs> are affirming you without you soliciting it, they're just naturally affirming you. So um, that's yeah. Congratulations. That's a pretty pretty big uh, pretty big deal. I mean, it, it it doesn't mean like oh, it's so like easy. Sometimes sometimes you just um. I think you know with society and sometimes being around other gay men, it's sometimes easy to like slip into these ideologies of what it is to be a gay man. And sometimes I have to be a reminder. And sometimes I get reminded because I'm so different in those circles because it, when I, when I hear the inauthentic, uh, inauthentic, oh my God, I'm struggling with this word, the inauthentic ways, it, it, it doesn't feel right. Um, 
it doesn't feel right in my skin. And I'm usually the one who is having deeper conversations than on the surface conversation because I find more value in um, getting to know someone on the, the real, real, um, whatever that is. You know, um, I, when I go into a circles, I'm looking for real connections, not, you know, what's on RuPaul Drag Race, you know, <laughs> although those shows are great. Um, I'm looking for a real conversation um, and people who are willing to be seen because I'm going to be, I'm, I'm want to be, I want to be seen and heard as well. Well, I, I love you calling that out and I feel exactly the same way. And oftentimes I find when I'm in a social setting with gay men and all those surfacey conversations are happening, I just kind of like shrink back and listen and don't really participate. And I've realized that that sends a whole, you know, a whole message that um, wasn't necessarily the message that I was <laughs> trying to send. You know, I think that um, I have in the past come across as maybe aloof or, or closed down or maybe even superior, you know, because I will just sit and listen, I, I don't have much to contribute to those really surface conversations that struggle with that. Yeah. And I, I, I've realized that I need to, to, to learn how to, there's got to be some Middle ground that bridges the gap, something between the real surface and the real, real deep, because not everybody can go deep, or at least maybe not in the first conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm having to learn how to show up um, and, and be my authentic self without having it go so deep so quick, maybe finding some, some common ground, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. I love what we're talking about, but let's shift gears a little bit. And I, I kind of want to delve into and hear, because I think our, our challenges in life and our path, our journey is always us coming back to um, our most authentic self. You know, I, I personally believe that we come out of the womb as as babies, fully authentic, mm-hmm. and then we get messages in our formative years from parents, from family, from society in, at large that uh, teach us that it's not safe to be authentic. And uh, oftentimes, by the time we're seven, eight, 10 years old, we have completely severed severed ourselves from our authentic self. We go Mm -hmm. through a period of time where we don't feel quite right, but we don't know why we don't feel quite right. And we spend a lot of time seeking. Some of us seek our entire lives and never, ever come back to our authentic self. And I think that's what's going on. I think that our seeking is we're trying to reconnect with that part of ourselves that we lost track of. It's it's, it didn't it didn't go away. We just lost sight of it. And I think that's what our trials and tribulations in life are about. They're about bringing us back to that authentic self. So um, tell me what is perhaps maybe the most challenging thing that you have had to go through in this lifetime. And where are you in that? You know, are, are you in this very beginning stages of it? Are you, you know, to the other side of it or somewhere in between? And and I'll just, you know, shut up and let you talk now. Oh, it's more of a conversation. <laughs> it is. I'll, I'll interject when there's, yes. A, you, know, <clears throat> um, 
you know, I think, you know, as we talked about before, you know, um, one of my biggest challenges was, you know, when I discovered I had vitiligo, um, which is vitiligo is a skin pigmentation usually shows up with any culture, but particularly people of color. If you're brown or if you're kind of like um, all of the skin, you start to see these white spots that um, show up. So it means that your body thinks that um, your brown skin is some kind of disease and it's attacking the brown skin. So then therefore you lose pigmentation in those, um, in those areas. <clears throat> and I think, you know, it was a huge challenge in the beginning. And I think I am on the other side of it. It's really probably helped me learn what real authenticity is. Um, because in the beginning it wasn't, it was rough. <laughs> so, so Jimmy, let, let's call out for the, for the listener, for those that may not know, I mean, you gave a wonderful explanation, but spell vitiligo for us. So those that really want to have a better understanding can Google that and, and get some examples of what that actually visually looks like. Yeah. Um, it's, um, V I T I L I G A O. So, so yeah, it's V I G I T I L I A G O. Sorry. Um, so you can Google that, and you'll see you'll see examples. And you know, Winnie Harlow is one, probably one of the most famous models that um, displays that she was on Top Model. So she's like, people are very familiar with her. So it's becoming more of a mainstream kind of thing. I've started to see more in magazines and posters and commercials and and um, people on television. So it's becoming more of a visual thing for people are starting to accept. But, you know, for me, when it first started, it was not, <laughs> it was I've, not that. I've seen a male model in some of the, um, not print, but mostly online uh, he, he models for some of the clothing stores. And I believe he has, uh, I mean, it's colored, obviously, but it's it's red hair or reddish blonde hair, and um, I, I think it's so brilliant that that's starting to, to be represented in fashion and and just the world that you you now have. Um, I mean, it's it's giving it a face and kind of normalizing it a little yeah. bit. I'm I'm very I, I know I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm really glad to see that. You know, like like also the way they're starting to put models that just don't have these perfect spelt bottle bodies, mm -hmm. putting male and female models that more you see a little more of it all the time that are more representational of what society really is about. Yeah, I mean there has been a big big movement of seeing representation, especially with vitiligo. I think you know. Um, people like Rihanna does a, does a really great job in her, if you ever go on her um, website, Fenty, Savage Fenty with, you know, the underwear models, um, both male and female, they're all shapes and sizes, all people with vitiligo, people with disabilities, people with, I mean, you name it, they, she has those people represented on her website. So there's been, you know, a lot of, um, movement happening even in commercials now i see more people of handicap um this which i really love seeing that and seeing people who 
look like what I see every day down the street, you know, um, starting to see more of that in the media. So as you go into your own personal story, I'm going to ask you to tell your story in a manner that the the, the listener <laughs> feels it like that, like they feel what you went through. I know you can do that. Um, let's all give it a shot. Um, you know, um, when I first noticed the, there was, it started off as a spot on, I think the right or left side of my eye, which I just thought it was like, oh, I'm getting older. You know, as you get older, skin changes, you know, I used to see these little white spots and uh, not as prevalent as what my face looked like on my grandparents. So I just thought, you know, I was getting, you know, as a part of aging. Um, and then one day I woke up and what, what what first started off is like the size of a the top of like a pencil was now the size of a quarter on my face and I was like what the hell is that and I was like staring in the mirror and I was just like whoa like <laughs> that's huge you know it's very noticeable and I think I also that same day I noticed a spot on my penis at the same and I was just like okay I was like what is happening and I remember running to my computer I just google white spots on skin and I clicked images and I could see all these people with just covered with vitiligo and I remember saying holy fuck like that cannot be true. Like I, I, I remember just like kind of like taking a breath, taking a back of like this might be happening to me, and I didn't want to make any assumptions. And I, but it was it was a it was hard just imagining that I could be turning into this unrecognizable person. And I remember saying, oh my God, I think I'm turning into a monster. Like I am, nobody's going to want me if this is what is going to happen to me. And I remember, I think it was the exact same day. Um, I was heading, I forgot where I was, I was heading to the train. I was on the train and lo and behold, I'm sitting on the train and a guy comes on the train and he's covered in a bit of LIGO and I broke down crying. And I had to put my shades on, put my cap on because I did not want anybody to see me crying. And I was just shaking. I was just, oh my God, this is, cannot be happening to me. Like, and I think, and, I, and so going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, my first thoughts was, oh my God, here is another thing as a gay man that I'm going to be rejected for. Like, you know, I'm, I, I rarely see, you know, as a black African-American, you know, people mixing with African-American, here it is, you know, this idea of being perfect in the gay world, here I am no longer going to be what might be the perfect looking gay man that was gone. And, and then like I was striving to be it, but I guess unconsciously, that's what I was sort of, um, living into because of now I realized the friends that I used to keep around, 
they have the great bodies, great look. And I was always trying to be around them, be like them, you know, always working out, trying to be the hang with them. And when I got rid of my vitiligo started to spread even more, those friends didn't really come around anymore because now I look really, really different. And I think the same day, the same best friend that I told you earlier that called me um, this week, he called me that day, the very same day. And he was like, you know, are you okay? He was like, you sound kind of down. I said, well, you know, I think I got this, you know, skin disease called vitiligo. And he's like, I said, do you know what that is? He's like, yeah, I know what it is. And he was like, he's like, now I, I don't remember what I said to him. And I, again, it was, and I was like, oh my God, who's going to want me? Who's going to, this is going to, it's going to affect. He was like, well, how he was like, have you thought about this may be a blessing for you? I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, he said, well, one, are you in pain? I was like, no. He was like, are you going to die? And I was like, no. And I was like, okay. He was like, you're going to live. And he was like, maybe this is God's way of allowing you to see who is going to love you for who you are. And that like, although it was great in the moment, it was, it took me a while to, to really take that in because I didn't believe it at first. Um, you know, first that, I, I want to say, man, that is a good friend. I mean, you've only <laughs> talked to two stories about him and, and, and that is a good friend. He was, yeah. He's, he's, he, he always managed to say things that really change my perspective so I can just continue to, I guess, live my, my best self, you know? And, um, and so he recommended that I go to a doctor, not make any conclusions, you know, and get a diagnosis. So, you know, I got a diagnosis and then by then, you know, <clears throat> the vitiligo was spreading and, um, and so one of the things they, I was like, okay, I wanted to, I, if I can do something about it, I'm going to do it. So I started doing one of the things they recommended that I do was light therapy, which is like basically in a tanning booth, but very, a little bit more dangerous. Cause you're under UV ray lights, um, three times a week. You have to sign this non-disclosure that you can get cancer by doing this whole process and you have to do it consistently in order to see results. And so <clears throat> I said, okay, you know, my insurance covered it and I was doing it, going to th- this light therapy three times a week. It was very exhausting because the hospital that there was the only one hospital in all of New York that had these machines that was like, you know, from where I live in Queens, New York, I had to go all the way to Manhattan, which was like an hour, some change going there, had to be there, had to wait, get in line, just to go there for like three seconds. <laughs> like this was like exhausting for a whole year, uh, like a year and a half. And and by this time I was doing all this research on like, okay, how can I cure myself? How can I cure myself? And like, you know, my mom bought me this book and how this guy, you know, cured himself of vitiligo. And I, and I realized that my mom had vitiligo and what she said was, she realized that she was allergic to um, cheap perfume. So I was like, okay, 
I'm going to stop doing clones, anything with sense in it, anything. I was going to go went all natural. I made my own clones, made my own soap, made everything with natural for months to see, to do anything to help reverse this, this skin disease. Like I just like, I, and I, and because I just didn't want to face the reality of having it. You know, as you're sharing this story, and and by the way, I want to say you're doing an insanely beautiful job of, of I'm feeling all this. So you you you've definitely ticked the the vulnerability meter. Um, <laughs> I'm really feeling all of this. But what I'm really sensing as you tell this story is that at this point in your journey, you were in desperation. I was. I was like doing any and everything to make this go away. I was not accepting it. Was not. I was just like, if, if somebody else can do it, I can do it too. I can cure this thing. You're you're describing also a high level of resistance to the the is <clears throat> what is you know the right what is exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, you know, I think what was the hardest part was, you know on that in that process that journey was you know being on the train and seeing when people see me they move to the other side of the train or they didn't want to sit next to me people will see my hand and they would get up and they would move to the other thing they would just like you know give me this like eyes wide open and then they would just like move to the other side and I would get I used to get so angry um do you suspect that they were concerned that you might have something that was contagious? Is that you? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that they might get it because it was, you know, not as popular or recognizable by um, mainstream. Because by you look at my hands, my hands are like spotted, you know, and they didn't know. About, people didn't know what it is, um, <clears throat> and you know, and I remember. I think, um, and I think even I was working for this, you know, high-end catering company, which is all about your looks. And I, I would get, I would be in arguments with people and like, oh my God, you're finally turning white. You're fine. Oh my God. I suspected that you're, you know, you're not as black as we thought you was. And, you know, all this like stuff I had to deal with on at work and, it was just so disheartening. Like I, I just resented, didn't want to show up at work. And also I saw how it affected um, the work I see. So how like I wasn't getting more, I wasn't getting jobs. Like it really, I could see like the work dwindled because of the way I looked. I wasn't, I didn't have that nice skin, clean, the clean classic, you know, African-American look anymore. I was very uniquely different and you know i think there was i think there was one moment that i started to change um and at this point also i wasn't dating i I deleted every single dating site because i was just like i'm gonna not i'm not gonna date until i figure this out and there was i found this um makeup company called dermablin which is the only company that makes a specific makeup for people with vitiligo that they can cover it up. And so, and it was only sold at Macy's and I went to Macy's and a woman did my face. And I remember just staring in the mirror 
when she did my face and I was like, oh, I was just, I was like really happy and excited that, you know, I looked normal, but I was like, well, what about the rest of my body? Like, <laughs> you know, I can't put this on my hands. And even if I could, you know, if I was going to have, you know, sex with someone, I mean, what am I going to say? Like, I can't hide that, you know? And, and I was like, is this really what I'm going to do every day just so other people can accept me? And I was just like, and then I started asking questions like, well, when are you going to accept you? And I was sort of in that conversation for a while. Like it was really um, daunting on me. And I ended up uh, going to, taking out counseling at the time. <clears throat> and and I, I guess it's funny how, like, I guess the universe works. And um, I started coincidentally reducing my my three times a week at this, you know, like therapy to like sometimes one, sometimes two. Like I was just, I was just exhausted of the, the traveling, and it was just coming. It was just so exhausted, and I just couldn't believe I was doing all this work to <clears throat> be accepted, really, by other people. But I was like, you know, I could be really utilizing this time for something else. Like that's all I kept thinking about. Like, what could I be doing with this three hours of three, six, nine hours of my week is gone to just go spend five minutes in a hospital for this thing? And if I miss a day, I have to start all over again. I was just like, what well, I did something has to give. And a lot of things had started to pop up for me at the same time. And a friend of mine had introduced me to um, this sort of online coach named Mastin Kip. And he was, um, he was creating this book called The Daily Love. At the time, he was doing the daily love practice or something like that. And he had this one exercise. It was like, I think it was a 30-day love challenge or something like that. And every day you had to get up in the mirror, look yourself and say, look yourself in the eye and say one thing that you love about yourself every single day. So, you know what, I'm going to do this challenge. And so at the time I was like, you know, going to counseling and um, even though that didn't work out, but the ironic thing about going to this counselor is that as I was doing this self-love everyday thing and I really just doing it just to see like what would happen at the end of the result. And I remember waiting in this diner, going to see the counselor. Well, I think it was, I can't remember if it was before or after. And I was waiting, I ordered my food and I saw a Latino dark skinned man come in with vitiligo. And my first thought was, I said, oh my God, he's very handsome. And I was like, I caught myself and I was like, oh my God, like I, that's my first time ever seeing someone who I thought was attractive with vitiligo. And, and I was like, oh my God, this may be working for me. And, and I started to like really every day, um, like put my hand over my heart, Jimmy, I love you today. What do I love about yourself today? I, said, I really love the way your eyes are starting to shape or the way the design of your hands starting to form. It really looks like a heart or a planet or a bird or a butterfly. Just really starting to love the way you look every day and starting to say mantras like, you know, I embrace my forever changing body. 
you know, really embracing that um, part of me and started to find myself defending myself more at work. And like when I started to really push back on what people would say to me about me, they would stop because now I'm now I'm starting to own myself. And I remember, you know, the last week of my hospital visit <clears throat> and I told the nurse, I said, you know, this is going to be my last day. And she's like, oh, my God, wh what are you going to do? And I said, well, I said, I guess I'm going to have to learn to love myself the way I am every day. And she was like, wow. And I was like, yeah. I said, I'm going to have to learn my love myself the way I am every single day. You know, what, what you're sharing right now is, first of all, absolutely beautiful. I didn't, I didn't know this part of your story. So thank you so much for sharing this, but <clears throat> I can guarantee you right now that there are listeners that are ready to push the, the stop button on this <laughs> because what you're talking about, the talking to yourself and the, the, the self-love and, and the looking at yourself in the mirror, that is making some of our listeners so uncomfortable that they can't stand it right now. I can, I can right. guarantee you that. So if you're listening out there, I encourage you to hang with this because he's telling an amazing story of transformation and it's an inside job we yeah tend to, we tend to really approach life externally most of the time and that's not where the good stuff happens you know the good stuff happens internally and then works its way out into our is reflected out into our external world but i, I love where you're going with this but yeah i'm, I'm pretty clear there's some people that are on the edge <laughs> the you know the story you're telling i think it's epic keep keep going keep going i mean it, it really is an inside job even though you know i'm glad you said that because in the beginning on that mirror exercise which is a very popular um exercise i can't i think kate baden or uh, uh louise hayes they have you know books on mirror work Louise Hayes does <clears throat> called called mirror work, mirror work yeah mm -hmm. and you know people think it may be silly and in the beginning, I did not believe it. It was, but I had to start small. I had to start off with what to, even though I have this skin issue, besides that, what do I really love about myself? <laughs> like I didn't have, I didn't, I had never identified it. And it wasn't until I think, uh, I learned I had to, when I started being moved by my own self looking in the mirror, that's when I knew I loved myself because I was moved by the love that I had for myself. I wasn't just saying words anymore. <clears throat> I was actually touched by the love, the level of love of the place from not really wanting to look in the mirror because I would gloss it, I was, it was so bad that I would gloss over myself in the mirror so I wouldn't look at myself. And, and I, re, I can recall, because I used to keep my hair cut a very, um, a very certain length so it could be dark because I had that Lego in my, on my scalp because I didn't want to see it. And then one day my barber made a mistake and he cut it too low. And so he had to finish cutting it off to like almost you could I was almost bald I had I had to, I remember like shaking in the chair 
because I hadn't seen it. I wasn't really looking at myself because I was doing all the things to try to hide myself, to keep myself from looking at myself. And I remember being in that chair shaking, like, oh my God, you got to keep it together. 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 And so now my barber, now I tell him to cut it low as possible so I can remind myself of who I am and what I really look like. Like I keep it very low. So I am owning who I am every day in the mirror. Um, because I want to own it. I want to always remind myself, like, this is who I am. Even it's always changing. This is who I am. This is how I love myself. And I think also what helped solidified that moment because I was dating someone, I had met somebody on the train and um, very a beautiful man from Spain. And we were sitting on his couch one day. He was like, you know, one of the reasons why I stopped. He says, because he picked my hand up and he was like, you know, the spot, like, I really love the way your spots make you look, you, you look very unique. And he started like kissing me in those spots. And that, like, that really moved me. And I was like, oh my God, here was the moment where somebody loved me for what I looked like. It, it didn't like, it mattered to him that I did look like this, that I did look differently. That I didn't look like everybody else. That I was different. He was appreciating your uniqueness, right? And so, you know, even though that relationship didn't work, and we're we're good friends now, I think that moment helped me even build my confidence even more. It sounds like a defining moment in your process, right? It was a defining moment. Defining moment because if somebody like that could love me, then I can love myself just as great and i i deserve you know someone i now i know what it's like to someone who does who loves me fully as i am so if somebody can love me for fully as i am then i can now fully love me as who i am and and be unapologetic about it you know my my hope is that the listeners are relating to this, not from a standpoint of, well, I don't have vitiligo. I, how does this applicable to me? But, you know, we all have something in our lives that we may not like about ourselves or that we may fear that others will judge about us. We all have something that we have to overcome. And your story applies to all of that. You know, I, I myself I was um, I was born premature, like very premature, and spent my first three days of life in an incubator. And mm. back in 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 that, that period of time when I was a child, they flooded incubators with pure oxygen. Now they don't do that anymore because we now know that exposing a newborn baby to pure oxygen can cause complete blindness. Mm. So I I did not have complete blindness. And my parents didn't figure it out until I was five years old. But at five years old, when I got my first CNI test with the doctor, the, the, the doctor told my parents that I was legally blind. Wow. And they put glasses on me. Of course, you know, this was in the early 60s. And there was no plastic or high index plastic. They were glass lenses and they were as thick as Coke bottle bottoms. 
<laughs> my vision was so bad. They were as bad. They were as thick as Coke bottle bottoms. And throughout my entire growing up years, I, I got made fun of because of my thick glasses. It was, it was horrible. And when I graduated from high school, my parents said, well, we, what would you like as the graduation present? And I said, contact lenses. <laughs> and I got contact lenses and it, it changed my life. You know, I, I, I got them in the summer after high school graduation, went off to college. Now every, I'm meeting a whole new world of people without glasses. And um, it played an insane role in my level of self-confidence and self-acceptance. And I wore contact lenses for 17 years. And then one day when I was about 35, my eyes just said, we're done. They became painful. I tried everything wow. under the sun. I tried different types of contact lenses. They became painful, couldn't wear them, had to go back into glasses. And I just have to say, man, it was, I was really relating to your story in that it was a dark day. It was a dark day when I went back into glasses because it brought up everything that I had experienced from age five until I graduated from high school and got my contact lenses. I wasn't given a choice. And I, I had a pretty big meltdown. Same type of feeling. Nobody's ever going to want me, you know, I it just, and um, I had to have, you know, now what I laughingly refer to as a come to Jesus meeting with myself. It was like, dude, you have to see, you know, and, and, and therefore you have to wear glasses and you need to friggin' get over this, whatever that looks like. You got to find a way to, see yourself as an attractive man and believe that you can be attractive with glasses. And I, you know, I made myself a promise that I was going to do everything I could to learn to love myself. Very similar to your process. Yeah. To, to learn to love myself with glasses. And right. <clears throat> I believe the universe really steps up in amazing ways sometimes because shortly after I made that, that declaration that I was going to learn to love myself with glasses, Multiple times, like, like people would walk up to me on the street and say, wow, those glasses look great on you. Like strangers. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I knew in my heart of hearts that this wasn't accidental, coincidental, random. This was universe, higher power, whatever you believe in that was sending me very specific messages, letting me know that yes, indeed, I could be an attractive man with glasses. Right. You know, it's like, you know, similar thing. Like now I think I, you know, I, I have <laughs> random people. I remember being on the train. This woman literally came all the way from the other. Tree. She's like, I have to let you know you are beautiful. That's all I have to tell you. And she just walked back, like made out just like, you know, wow, you know, I think, you know, learning to really own yourself uh, is very important. And, um, you know, going to that story, like the very thing that you hate about yourself, somebody's waiting for you to accept that about yourself so they can love you. Because that, that's, that thing that you're hating about yourself is really 
stops you from showing up as your best self. It affects how you are at work. It affects how you're in relationships. It affects how you're in friends because now you're hiding, you're shaping yourself. You're trying to like, you know, manipulate and be something that you're not. And people feel that and they don't, you don't, they don't get the real you. And you're trying to be something that you're not. And then all of a sudden you start believe like cheating on yourself and then you're sitting on yourself. Then you're like being self-conscious about yourself. And like a friend of mine, you know, she's like, oh my God, you know, I got to get her my thighs and my thighs are too big. And I was like, girl, what are you talking about? I was like, do you see these women out here trying to get these little waist and big hips and thighs? I was just like, women are trying to get thighs and hips. I was like, you just need to accept, own that a part of you. Some man is out there is wanting to love on those thighs. Like, but because you hate your thighs and you get in a relationship with somebody, now you're covering up, he's touching your thighs and you're like pushing him away. But that's what he loves about you, your thighs. You know, so it's like, for me, it's like, okay, that's what the people are attracted to me about is my vitiligo. It's like, I have to own well, that. It's otherwise, part of what they're attracted to. Right. You know, and it's, it, 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 my confidence, it's much more prevalent when I walk into a room, you know, the world reflects back to us who we are, right? When we're insecure, the world's going to reflect that back to us. When we're secure, the world's going to reflect that back to us, you know, as a, a, a career hairdresser that stood behind the chair and did women's hair, mostly women, about 10% of my clientele was male, um, 40 years, I stood behind the chair and did hair. And I would give one of my clients maybe an, uh, a new cut that was kind of daring. And before she would walk out the door, I would say, honey, when you walk out that door, you have to own this haircut. <laughs> if you don't own this haircut, everybody in your life will crucify you over this haircut. Everybody in your life, oh my God, why did you do, you had such beautiful, oh my, they're going to be all over you. But if you walk out owning it and acting like you own it, then they're going to love it. Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. And it's it's the truth. The world, p- part of my slogan that I use in all of my marketing is I we train people how to treat us. Oh Yeah. And And there's three ways that we do that. Number one, we train people how to treat us by the way that we they see us treat others. We train people how to treat us by the way we allow other people to treat us. And we train people how to treat us by the way they see us treat ourselves. So, yeah. And if you're telling yourself that you're ugly because you got vitiligo, or you're telling yourself that you're ugly because you got big thighs and hips, or you're telling yourself you're ugly because you've got glasses, the world is going to follow your cue. And they're going to give you the same feedback that you're giving yourself. Yeah. It's like I used to be in this um, leadership program and I was a coach in this leadership program. Uh, and there's a few, I think you, you've done Landmark and I was a coach. And I so thought there was, we would have these like, you know, four weekends where everybody all over the United States or the world, quote unquote, would come when we're doing um, in-person um, weekend retreats and there was a few people who had vitiligo 
and they were coaches and they were all coming to me and be like, we admire you. We admire you. And I just, at first I didn't really get it. You know, uh, I was like, what do they admire me about? You know, I said, oh, because I'm the one who's speaking up. I'm the one who's not afraid to stand up and say, you know, say whatever. And I'm the person that's, you know, leading effectively, you know, because the rest of the day they weren't leading and I was, even my own coach, he thought I had an issue with, you know, me having vitiligo. He would like tippy toe around me. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, why? I, I never told you I had an issue with my skin. So I don't need you. And I would tell people that too. I would say, I don't need you to make my skin an issue for you. <laughs> like, it's not an issue for me. So don't make it an issue for you. Oh, bravo. <laughs> you know, bravo. so that's, you um, know, and, and that's a form of a boundary, what you're doing right there. Right. You know, because people will do that. They see you with a handicap or, uh, or with, you know, um, with vitiligo and you can tell how they start to change um, when they approach you. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, you don't need to do that. Like I am, um, you know, I'm a very capable person. I think for me, it's like when I'm in sort of like some leadership role and I have to like speak up or speak out and like deal with people because they think that I, you know, I may, their own perception is that I may have an issue with approaching someone with the way I look. And I don't, um, even with dating, like I am, I, my, a lot of my friends or some of my gay friends, they're like, like, God, how do you go up to men and just like get their number? I'm just like, because I'm only who I am. I, you know, I just go up to them and I just start talking to them and I get the number. Like, <laughs> it's just, I'm learning to own myself. Well, and you're doing a great job of it. You know, I just want to reflect back to you that um, you do at this point, and I, I'm an empath. I feel other people's feelings with complete clarity. You really are in a good place about your your visual look. I, I can feel it. Like you do own it. And and it's demonstrated by the way the world's responding to you. What a beautiful, I mean, it's like this is your you have come full circle, in other words. <laughs> yeah. I, I I always think that there's something magical happens when we come full circle. You know, I, I tell my story frequently of being bullied for the first half of my life, like really, really unmercifully bullied and how bad it was. But there was a point when I realized, wow, you are the man that you are because of those experiences. Those experiences forged you into the man that you are today. And I really like the man that I am today. And I wouldn't be this man if I hadn't been through that trauma and those wounds and, yeah. and all that pain. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to relive it at all. But I also wouldn't if you said, okay, well, you know, give us a, a, a we'll, get, we'll give you a million dollars if we can erase that part of your memory. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. I mean, your, I think your greatest lessons coming comes with dealing with the very thing that you probably hate about yourself the most. It's like willing to deal with your beliefs. Because our, our greatest gift be- becomes our biggest wound. Yeah, our, yeah. Our, no, our, our, our biggest triumphs. Our greatest wound 
it comes out of the work becomes our greatest gift and the thing that we have to give to the world. Right. Um, because, you know, I think what's her name is Maria Folio. Uh, you know, she always would say the world is waiting. The world is waiting on you to be the gift that you have to give to the world. You know, so your gift, uh, whatever your insecurity is, is with on the other side of that in, the insecurity, the, on the other side of that wound, on the other side of that, you know, that trauma, like the world is waiting on you to heal yourself and get the lesson and, 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 get, and take on the lessons and learn the necessary skills that you need to learn to become a better version of yourself because somebody who is dealing with the same thing you're dealing with is waiting on you to learn to be that for them to be that representation the world is waiting on you to be that triumphant person absolutely and and it's important to call out that like in your situation the gift is not the vitiligo because that would be a very small percentage of people mm-hmm. that you could really help. The gift is what that represents. And that is you learning to love yourself with whatever it was. The gift is the self-love. Do you agree with that? Like, right. It's a self, it's, it's the gift is like, not just self-love, but because vitiligo is forever changing. There isn't, it's my body is going to be forever changing just like getting older it's forever changing and i'm learning to love the, all the changes accepting mm-hmm. all, all the changes because it's, i'm going to be different from, from week to week it can be different from week to week yeah. so accepting all the changes as they come but you you've already demonstrated how that 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 thing that you went through translates out into your your friend with curvy hips and thighs. And, and you could probably give a gazillion other examples of how that gift and that lesson translates out into your ability to help other people with self-acceptance and self-love, whether it's a rapidly changing thing that they're going through. And let's face it, we are, whether we realize it or not, nothing stays the same. The only thing that never changes is the fact that everything changes. Right. But people don't accept that. They want things to stay the same, or especially in relationships. Like we we used to be this way. Well, that's the past. You know, nothing stays the same. Like your lessons are right here, right now. Um, and your opportunity to grow is here right now. Um, and if you're not reaching for those lessons, man, you're still stuck in this vicious cycle that is, could be ideal, ideally costing you money in your job, like not owning yourself because it does really affect how you show up at work. Well, yeah, it has a cost on multiple different levels. Right. And it's costing you. It's like, what is it really, if you really stop to think about whatever your insecurity is about yourself, it is costing you, costing you in some way or form in your life, in your marriage, in your job, with your kids, with your family. It is costing you or holding on or trying to hide this, this, this whatever it is 
it is costing you. Whatever it is that you can't accept about yourself. So I want to circle back and I'd like to know, you've gotten to the other side of this. You've come to complete self-acceptance of what's happening to your your skin and how it's changing and the way it looks Mm -hmm. different every week. Because of that journey that you made, the work you did, the acceptance that you came to, what has that made possible in your life? And, and I don't mean what has it made like possible in the future. What has come about? What's already happened as a result of that self-acceptance and self-love? I mean, when, when would you say, did you, did you reach that, that precipice where you made the shift to self-love and acceptance and appreciation? When was that? Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, right, probably actually probably uh, maybe recently, two years, three years ago, um, like really fully, um, just stepping into it. And just I think uh, two huh? or three years ago, I say two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, so, so what's, what's been your experience in that two or three years? What, what doors has that opened up or. Um, um, it allows me to be brave with my content, like as a coach, like being brave um, with asking for things that I want. And I see now that I think because of the way I look, people are much more interested in me um like speaking opportunities people want to work with me people are just like you know even like recently like a guy a friend of mine who I haven't we don't even really stay in contact he's like sending me notices hey they're looking for people with vitiligo you can make some money on this like you know casting thing so I'm like I'm sort of in right now this company is interested in using me for a campaign you know so so it's like these like opportunities are coming up to speak, you know, um, about my journey and like being confident and stuff like that. And like, you know, a couple of magazines, like just wanting to put me out there on the front. Um, I think because of my, my confidence is starting to speak up louder. Um, people see it and hear it. And especially like, you know, I have to do like a little, work um on this company and like more leadership roles like before that wasn't happening but they they see me owning myself that i can own a room and like work um how i work with people and i'm not like insecure about how i'm with people like people just sort of gravitate towards me um so talk about your personal life i love everything you're saying by the way that's amazing and, uh-huh. and I've and I've actually been a witness to this. You know, I, I follow you on Facebook. We don't talk all that often, but I follow you on Facebook and I watch some of the things you're doing and some of the opportunities that have presented themselves. And I'm very clear that that is all the result of stepping into that ownership and that that self confidence and self esteem. Talk a little bit about how it's affected your personal life. <laughs> My personal life. Um. Um, I think that <laughs> a lot more men are more attracted to me. Um, okay, listeners, are you hearing what he just said? <laughs> Say it again. I find more men attracted to me. Like, I, I think it's sort of recently happening. Like, you know, 
I just find they're coming to me instead of me coming to them, you know, um, just because I'm owning myself and I walk down the street, you know, um, uh, and just, just funny, like people, when I was in Nashville recently, like when I, I don't know, I walked into this, I was renting a car and people were like, who are you? <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, excuse me. They're like, are you a doctor or something? Like, I feel like I need to know who you are. And it just, that's been happening a lot. And I was in this, this uh, Nashville hot chicken place and in the middle of this restaurant, I'm waiting for my food. This guy's like, excuse me, you know, are you like a music producer or something? Like, who are you? Like, I feel like you're somebody important. Like, and so you know, it's just I like, that's been happening. <laughs> I completely relate to that. I, I, I walk on our local hike and bike trail every day. And I watch this couple walk by and they always, you know, wave and greet me. They're very friendly. And for months, you know, I would greet them coming and going on the trail. And and one day I just thought, you know what? I don't know who they are, but I need to meet them. And I just walked up to him on the trail and said, I feel like I need to know you guys. Can, I, can we talk for a minute? And they sure. And, and I just said, you know, you always acknowledge, you greet me, you have smiles on your faces. You're so friendly. And that's such a rare thing on this trail. You guys really stand out as being like <laughs> different. And I said, could, could we have coffee sometime? Oh, wow. like, Absolutely. You know, I, there was just this, this voice that was saying in my head, I need to know them. And it wasn't necessarily because I thought they were, you know, like a celebrity, a producer, mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a doctor or anything like that. It was just, I thought these people stand out energetically it was this feeling and and so you know because of covid we haven't gone to coffee yet you know we've decreed that as soon as we feel a little more comfortable Mm -hmm. you know being in social settings that we're going to do that but uh, i get completely what you're saying i can see why people are coming up to you because you are coming from that place of self-love um you're owning who you are um yeah it makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, also personally, I think I'm developing more authentic relationships. Like, I'm just amazed of like, you know, during COVID, when I, you know, learning owning myself, and even now, like, I'll get random messages from like a, a few people that now they're like become from Instagram and Facebook, and like now we're like close friends, like that authenticity because that authenticity is important to them. And so, you know, in the beginning, I think, you know, when you start to really own yourself, you know, you start to, I found that I start to really look for those authentic relationships because it was important to me who was being authentic in my life and who is not, because it was important to surround myself with other authentic individuals. And that was important to them because it really held me accountable. Um, to me being my best self. And I needed to see examples of that around me. And um, I, it is, it's a practice too. Um, oh yes, it's definitely a practice. It's, it's a real practice. I've also really just in the last 
couple of months had the awareness that authenticity and vulnerability have a direct link to our ability to manifest. Yeah. That's what Joe Dispenza always talks about and um, Wayne Dyer. Like I've not heard either of them speak of that. This came through to me intuitively. I was I was working on my own authenticity and vulnerability and noticing all kinds of opportunities and things come my way. And then I had been loosely, not 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 officially coaching, but just having conversations with a couple of my close friends in encouraging them to show up in life more authentically and more vulnerably. And as they leaned into that, I was watching both of them just manifest crazy things, you know, like opportunities and people coming out of the woodwork to support them and share resources and so on and so forth. And I, and I step back and I'm like, okay, what's really going on here? And then it just kind of clicked. I, I really realized that when we get real, when we become authentic and vulnerable, it makes people just want to come and sit next to us. Yeah. And they they appreciate that authenticity and that vulnerability so much that they are literally like falling all over themselves to support us in whatever way they can. That would be introducing us to the right people that they know or or providing us with a resource that they may have access to. It opens, I've, I've gotten to where the way I, I language this is, and specifically about vulnerability, because authenticity and vulnerability, I think, are they're, they're maybe first cousins. They're different. They're not the same thing. There's a lot of overlap. They go hand in hand together. They marry each other really well. I mean, they're both sides of a coin. They, you can't, you can't yes. be one without the other. Well, yeah, yeah I... I I don't know how I feel about that because I, I there are people that I because know authenticity that pretty authentically, but you they they didn't do much vulnerable. They could be fairly real to a degree, but there was kind of like a maybe could be more vulnerability. But I always say vulnerability be, opens like, doors, builds bridges, and clears pathways the way nothing right. else can. Right, but even though you said the word more, still there was vulnerability. Like, you know, to be authentic requires vulnerability. Like, even if even if it's a sliver of it, it's well, I, for me, I think it requires yes. some to be authentic because it's being you're being brave. You have yes. the willingness to show up. Brene Brown says the definition of vulnerability is taking emotional risk. It's not right. exposure. It's not telling your deepest, darkest secrets. It's it's taking emotional risk. And yes, you are. I agree. You're correct. When we become authentic and show our true selves, there is emotional risk involved in that. So yes, they go hand in hand. I I do think there is a difference, but they do, like you said, they're probably different sides of the same coin. (laughs) That that works completely. Yeah, cool. Well, anything, I kind of want to wind down and wrap up. Anything else you want to add or anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? <clears throat> anything I would like to leave the listeners with? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that, you know, with, you know, being authentic and especially, you know, being a relationship coach, relationship coach or because, you know, ideally we're always in some kind of relationship, whether it's romantic, you know, 
co- uh, collaboration or whatever, even with the person behind the Starbucks counter, um, you know, whatever you're calling in, whatever type of love you're calling in, you have to be at first. Like some people, you know, we, we wait for somebody else to show up. I think I've learned that you have to have the willingness to show up like, like Renee Brown, taking emotional risks every single day to be seen um, and acknowledge people for being brave with their own life. Because, you know, it's not so often that people get acknowledged for being real. And sometimes people acknowledging someone else is vulnerability and just simply saying, thank you for sharing that today, that day, that with me today. Thank you for, thank you for always greeting me today with a smile when I come in in Starbucks, it always makes me feel warm. It really, you, you, it's like the butterfly effect. You're sending great vibes. You're like creating new vibes. You're also putting yourself in high vibrational um, mode when you're acknowledging other people's vulnerability and be, and be kind to yourself. You know, sometimes vulnerability is, can be scary and, Acknowledge, like, okay, I acknowledge that I'm scary. It's, I'm scared to be vulnerable right now, and I can still do it anyway. Absolutely. I love that. I, I want to piggyback on something you said, you know, what you're wanting to call in to your life in, in the way of love. You have to be it first. I fully agree. And we all have an idea of kind of what that looks like. You know, there's some obvious things that that looks like, but I want to kind of call out what may not be obvious. And let's say what you're wanting to call in, in your life in the way of love is perhaps somebody that is thoughtful and, and, and loving and kind and compassionate and attentive. Let's just list a handful. Mm -hmm. And, and where we're, where, the, where the thing that's not really obvious is when we have to be that ourselves, we think of, oh, we have to show up and be willing to be that with the other person. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. But secondary, we have to show up and be that in our own lives. Yeah. If you can't be that kind, thoughtful, loving, compassionate, and attentive person, with yourself, then how can you expect another person to give you something that you're not willing to give yourself? Right. And, and like, and that's you know, the not so obvious aspect of this. Right. We kind of get that if we want somebody to be kind and compassionate with us, we need to be willing to be kind and compassionate with them. But most of us are unaware of the fact that it starts in here first. If it doesn't start in here first, then it's not going to be authentic in our outward expression no no not at all that's why like you know people i hear in relationships they go they tell you know this about we i need you to love me for who i am and then it's like well you don't even love you for who you are so why are you you're pressuring this other person to love and accept you when you're constantly in the mirror nagging i hate my thighs i hate my this i hate my that hate my hair i don't look good in this i that that right there is not honoring and loving yourself you have it has to come for you come from you first 
We can't expect other people to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. We can't expect our lovers to do something that we're not willing right. to do ourselves. If you're in a leadership role, you can't expect your employees to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. That's 101. Right. And I'll show a quick story about that too. Like when I when I realized that like I was attracting unemotional available men and I was like, oh my God, it has to come from me first. And I started asking questions like, okay where else did that show up? And it was like with my mother, my mother is never vulnerable. And I was always like, I'm the child. I'm a grown ass man. She needs to be vulnerable with me. She should be the example. She should be this. She should be that when it's like, okay, she doesn't, maybe she doesn't have the tools to do that. She was never modeled that. I say, okay. I was like, oh yes. Great. So I remember calling her that day when I realized it had to come for me first, it was a very sensitive moment because my uncle had, my, my mother had just buried two of her brothers within the same month. Um, and I had realized this moment about um, something that one of my uncles did to me and I shared it with her. I was like a very vulnerable moment and she didn't hang up the phone. And that moment opened up to her so much that every now, we always have these like really open conversations and, but it was, but it had to come from me first. I had to model for model it for her first. And I had to accept, I might not get this from her, but it does not have to affect my ability to be vulnerable because my dedication to myself is important in this moment to show up anyway, this way. That's important to show up any way, whether this person is going to give it to me or not. That's important. Wow. I'm so glad you shared that last part. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, this has been truly amazing. <laughs> I loved all that you brought to the table. I loved your stories. I deeply felt what you were going through as you felt that 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 journey and that desperation. I I could I could feel all of that. What an mm-hmm. amazing story. So let's move into our um, rapid fire questions. questions. Are you ready? Are you ready? For uh, sure. <laughs> if you only had moments to live, what would be your greatest regret? If I only had moments to live, what my greatest regret? Um, not traveling, like traveling more and. Um, traveling with people I love, creating more experiences, seeing more of the world. Beautiful. What is the one thing that you most wish you could change about the gay male community? Um, drop these um, stereotypes of like, I'm a twink. I'm a this. I'm a that. Like putting ourselves in boxes because it just really separates us and doesn't really bridge us together. Mm, I agree completely. Beautiful. And final question. What is your superpower? (laughs) I think my superpower is my willingness to be vulnerable from the very beginning. (laughs) Uh, Because it's it shows me who people are in the very beginning. Like I've just learned to like lean into, lean into it. Like yes, be willing to say the right. thing 
that people, if, if uh, especially when it comes to dating, I'm not afraid. I've learned to like say what's there and see yeah. what happens. You're right. It does get, <laughs> it, it does kind of show you who people are really, really quickly because yeah. vulnerability is kind of a polarizer. Mm-hmm. People it really is running or they want to come and sit right next to you. And I, I it love does. that about it truthfully. I, I love it, that. You know. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. I want to leave you with one thing aside from thanking you for coming and, and being a guest. I want to let you know that Jimmy Allen, you indeed are an authentic gay man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.